listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Tonight we're doing a week two of a series that we're calling uh, "What a Time to Be Alive." And I started thinking about the the. the the title there of that of this series of what a time to be alive. I started thinking about times in my life where I really felt alive. And uh, specifically, there was this one time in my life where I feel like it was, I mean, w- one of those times in life that you're just nostalgic over all the time. Like you look back and like nothing bad happened. Everything seemed to go great. Everything fell heat's way. That's how I remember it. I know that's not reality, but that's how I, like, I remember it. And it was a time that I enjoyed being alive. Specifically, um, it was a throwback to right after I had turned 16. And I don't know if you guys remember that. It wasn't as long ago for some of you guys in the room as, as for me. But, but right after I turned 16, everything was just coming up awesome for me, right? Like I had uh, j- turned 16, so I had started driving by myself without my mom in the car, which is just an awesome feeling. And in a big, uh, you know, pivotal moment in your life, you have that, that freedom of the open road. Um, for the first time in my life, um, girls liked me back, which was a big moment for me in my life, right? Like, I don't know, I'm not tying it to being 16 to have my own car, but we know. And so there was this moment, you know, it's anything, if you have to, your mom has to drop you off on a date, it's not a real date, it's a play date. And so it was one of those opportunities where I was getting to go on like real dates. And, you know, it, it was working so well for me that I got my first girlfriend. I know I was 16 late, I was a late bloomer, okay? Like beauty this good takes a while. So it's one of those opportunities where I was like, all right, I finally have like my first girlfriend. And for the first couple of months, it was going great. You know, like I said, everything's, just, everything's coming up Heath right now. Like it, it was an awesome time to be alive. Well, uh, summer was coming up quickly and uh, I'd gotten a job at this camp for the summer. So I knew I was going to be gone all summer. And so um, I kind of like mustered up the courage that I was going to have a really hard conversation with my then girlfriend that like, I don't think we can stay together for the summer because I got to keep my options open at camp. You guys know what I'm talking about. So it was one of those opportunities where, uh, you know, I'd set up this, uh, this conversation and I was going to have a really hard conversation. But guys, everything is coming up Heath right now. Like life is good. Like, this is a great time to be alive. Like, I'm going to nail this breakup. It's my first one, but I'm confident, you know? And so I go into it and, you know, we're sitting across from each other at a restaurant. And I was like, you know, nervous, just you know, fidgeting and palms are sweaty. And she's like, is everything okay? It's like, no, I, I need to talk to you about something. And she was like, okay, good. I need, to, I, need to, I need to tell you something as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, is she going to dump me? This is perfect. I don't have to be the bad guy here. And so I was like, all right, you go first. You know, so like, I, I'm like trying to be gentlemanly, but in the back of my head, I was like, please dump me, right? Like, uh, I, I want you to, I'm going to do it if you don't. And she was like, okay, uh, it's kind of hard for me to say this, but I love you. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized I was not prepared for her to tell me that at 16 years old, where you know nothing about the world. And so in this moment, I was like, I mean, just like dumbstruck. And so I did, you know, I, I was like, I, you know, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, I was about to dump you. And it was like, it was this moment where I was like, things are no longer coming up all Heath right now, because now uh, I, this is going to go one of two ways. I'm either going to lie or I'm going to break her heart. And so I did the, the gentlemanly, honest thing to do. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to tell you. You read my mind. <laughs> and so then I dumped her a month later. And so it was one of those situations where I learned a lot about myself. And maybe you guys have been in those situations too, is that you, you find you, you do something wrong, you don't handle it correctly, but you learn a lot about yourself, about how you can do it better next time, right? 
And so it was one of those moments where I realized that I'm a guy who has to have a plan. Like I had a plan. I walked into that night with a plan and the plan didn't go as planned. And I was no longer prepared for what transpired next. And in that moment, I was my worst. I was the worst. Guys, if you're taking notes in the room, write down, don't say me too if you don't mean it. It will help you tremendously in relationships. Because a month later when we broke up, she was like, how could you do this? You told me you loved me. And I was like, ah, yeah, that was bad. Uh, So it was one of those situations where I realized that I have to be prepared, I have to be planned. If you were here last week, we heard a story. Lauren kicked us off. She told us a story about a young woman that we find in the Bible. Her name's Esther. And life for her has taken an interesting turn of events, and things are not going as planned. They're going great for her. Everything's coming up, Esther, in this story. But things are definitely not going as planned. Okay? Last week when Lauren was here, she told you a little bit about the story of Esther. I'll give you a little bit of a recap if you weren't here, because it really hinges on what I'm going to talk to you guys about tonight. Lauren talked to us last week about, hey, God's got a plan and it's moving with or without you, right? So like Esther felt this for real. Esther was a beautiful young Jewish girl living in captivity in another foreign country. The king gets fed up with the queen. It's ancient Middle East. So he didn't have to do anything to divorce her. He was very Heath-like and he was just like, boom, you're gone. I need a new queen now. And so he brings in and he has kind of like an ancient Middle East version of the bachelor. And he lines up all the beautiful women in the land. And he's like, boom, Esther, that's my boo. And so he gives her a rose and he brings her in and she's now the queen. Things seemingly are going great for Esther. However, Esther has a cousin who's always looked out for her, kind of a father figure. His name's Mordecai. And Mordecai catches wind that another guy, he's kind of the bad guy in the story, his name's Haman. Haman has had the king sign this edict, this this rule that uh, we're going to kill off all the Jews because Mordecai had made Haman mad and Haman was trying to get revenge. And so uh, the king signs this thing. In effect, we're going to kill all the Jews. So Mordecai comes to Esther and he's like, Esther, you're the queen you've got to do something about this. Like, I'm dead. All of our people are dead. You're dead because they're going to realize and find out that you're a Jew just like us. So you're going to have to step in. You've got to do something. And Esther in that moment had an invitation to step into the plan. Like it was like a crossroads moment for her. It was a moment where it was like, okay, I have an opportunity to do something about this. I'm the queen now. But she also watched what had just happened to the previous queen where the king, she had done something the king didn't like and the king had gotten rid of her. And Esther was like, well, I don't want to like approach the king without being summoned and it it could cost me my life. And so Esther had this decision to make. She found herself at, like I said, at this crossroads of life. Do I make, what decision do I make? How, I'm not prepared for this. I I didn't know I was going to be queen. I didn't know I was going to have to have the fate of an entire group of people on my hands. I wasn't ready for this. And last week, if you were here, Lauren gave us a challenge. Like, hey, when you find yourself in these moments, to do what God's called you to do, you gotta do it even if you're scared. In fact, you gotta do it scared to be in where God wants you to be. And so that's kind of where we left off last week. And then this week we kind of pick up the story and, and I wanna ask you guys this question to kind of kick us off tonight. And it's this, it's like, how do we prepare ourselves for such a time as this moment? That's, that's what Mordecai had, had said to Esther. He's like, hey, who's, who's to say that God didn't make you queen for such a time as this? Like that God may have, have led you be queen over this foreign country so that you could save his chosen people. In fact, this is the, the verse we pull that from. In Esther chapter four, verse 14, it says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So how do we prepare ourselves for a moment, a such a time as this moment, a crossroads moment, a moment where we're not really sure how this is gonna play out. This could go really well for me. This could go really poorly for me. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, I've never had an entire group of people's fate in my palm of my hands, but I make decisions every day that sometimes scare me. I make decisions that I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna pan out, but I've gotta make a decision. And maybe you've been there. Maybe some of you guys have made some of these decisions recently. Like you had to make a decision on, you know, maybe what fraternity or sorority to join. And it's like, all right, this, this determines who my friends are going to be for the next several years of my, of my life and of this like college experience. Maybe some of you guys have made a decision of like, all right, I'm going to change schools. Or I'm going to change majors. I'm going to totally, you know, change the trajectory of my life. Maybe some of you guys have had a moment much like I did where you're in a relationship and you're like, hey, it's time, like this is, this is run its course, I gotta get out or somebody's gonna get hurt. And you find yourself daily in these moments, these, these such a time as this moments, where you're like, all right, I, I didn't expect to be here. I don't feel prepared to make this decision. Here we are, what am I gonna do? And so tonight, what I want us to do is like, how do we best prepare ourselves to make the right decision? Before I do that, I wanna tell you the rest of the story of what happens with Esther. Okay, so Esther finds herself in this moment. She's got to make this big decision. She has to approach the king without being called. Like, that's a bold move. It, ultimately, it could cost her her life, but she's banking on the fact that she's the queen and that she's new and that she's going to get away with it. And she hopes that when she gets in front of him, she can basically, you know, figure out some way to bring to the king's attention that you can't kill off all the Jews because that's me and that's my people and, and please don't do this. But Esther's smart. So she comes to the king and she doesn't ask for everything all at once. Ladies, write this down, okay? And don't ask for everything all at once. Ask for something small, build up, right? And so she comes up to the king. She doesn't say, hey, save my people. She says, hey, I wanna have a fancy dinner, just me and you and one guest. King says, done anything for you, my queen. Guys, write that down. You need to know those words, okay? It's, it's one of those moments where it's like, he's like, all right, fancy banquet, I'm the king. Love fancy banquets. Me, you, one guest, done. Let's make it happen. And so Esther comes back and she's like, all right, I've got this, this fancy dinner with me and the king and one guest. And she invites Haman, which if you don't remember, he's the villain of the story. He's the guy who's trying to get all the Jews killed. He's the one guest that she invites to this dinner. Well, Haman is scheming and constantly plotting and, and he's, you know, tried to make himself higher. He wants to be like second to the king. Eventually he probably wants to become the king. And yet he's, he's, he's climbed up to the point where he's got the king's ear and he gets the king to sign the decree and he gets like pretty much anything he wants. And he's decided that he can't wait for the king to kill off all the Jews. He's got to have Mordecai dead now because he's had the king sign something that every time he walks by, everyone has to bow down to him. Real narcissist, right? And so he, he comes in and Mordecai is not gonna do it. Mordecai's like, I only bow down to God. You're not God, so it ain't happening. And so basically Haman's like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna put Mordecai's body up on a stake. He builds this 75 foot pole and he's like, I'm gonna hang Mordecai from it to let everybody know you don't cross me. And so he's, he's got this whole master plan and he's gonna go to the king and it's like, king, I want Mordecai dead. Well, that night the king goes to bed and he can't really sleep. And so he asked for a book to be pulled from his royal library. And he's like, hey, bring me a book. I want to read me a bedtime story. Uh, kings are often childish. And so he has this moment where he's like, read me a bedtime story. And they start reading to him just from the history of their people. And one of the stories that they read is actually something that happened just a few years before where someone was plotting to kill the king, this king, King Xerxes. And he's like, um, in the story, someone alerted the king that there was a plot for someone to take his life. And the king sits up and it's like, I remember this. What was the man's name who alerted us to, to this, this, this plot to kill me? And the guy reading the story, he's like, his name's Mordecai. He's like, Mordecai, I remember that. Well, did we ever honor this guy, Mordecai? Did we ever do anything for him? He saved my life. And the servant said, no, sir, nothing. We just wrote it in the book. And now it's a bedtime story. Like, you know, as all good books. So he was like, tomorrow, I'm going to do something about this tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to honor Mordecai. 
So the king wakes up, it's a new day, a fresh start, and he walks into his chambers, and guess who he comes in to greet him? It's Haman. And Haman has walked in the room to ask for Mordecai's life, and before he can even do it, the king says, Haman, I'm so glad you're here. I have a question for you. What should I do to honor someone who I think is really special? Now, Haman's so narcissistic, he thinks he's talking about him. He's like, oh, well, king, uh, I'll tell you what you should do. You should put the royal robes on him and parade him around the city for everyone to see. King says, that's a great idea, Haman. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get Mordecai, and I want you to do exactly that for him. Put the royal robes on him, and I want you to parade him around the city for everyone to applaud him for saving my life. And you know Haman has to just be like seething inside and just angry. He's like, oh my goodness, this did not go as planned. Like Haman has a plan. Like us, he has a plan, and it's not going as planned. And so he's like, you know what? It's fine. It's going to be okay. I'll figure this out. And the king says, oh, Haman, one more thing. The queen and I are having a banquet tonight, and you're the guest of honor. You should join us. So Haman's like upset about the whole Mordecai parade thing, but he's happy because he's like, but it's just me and the king and queen. Like, I'm still good. I still have my opportunity to elevate myself. So that night, the uh, royal banquet uh, happens as planned. And in there, Esther, who's waited, bided her time, has decided this is my moment where I expose the whole plot. This is the moment where I make the king aware of everything that's going on. This is the moment my courage becomes reality. This is the moment where I'm, God, I'm trusting you. I'm gonna put myself out there please let the king have my back and not this weasel named Haman, right? And so at dinner, Esther starts telling the king, king, you've signed this decree. It's going to kill off all the Jews. And I haven't told you, but I'm Jewish and, and, and me and all my family are Jewish. And you've basically signed my death warrant. And I'm really scared. I'm scared for my people. And I wish you would just rethink this decision. And it's honestly a huge, brave move by her to, first of all, question the king and his decision. Second of all, to ask him to change his mind, and third of all, to publicly get him to recant something that everyone knows about. It's a brave moment by Esther. She's counted the cost. She's in a, for such a time as this crossroads moment, and she says, I'm going to go for it, and I trust that God's got me. And the king is furious. He's like, I had no idea. I, I didn't know that you were Jewish. I didn't know that that was your people. I, I would have never signed that. Like, who in the world made me sign this stupid decree to kill off you and all your people? And you could almost feel, like in reading in the story, you could almost feel Esther just like turning (laughs) and looking at Haman. She's like, well, funny you should ask. It's our guest of honor, Haman. He's the one that made you sign the decree. He's the one that had the idea. He's the one that put me and all my people to death and tricked you into signing it. And the king is so furious in that moment at Haman and at the situation he's in and how it's going to cost him to the people to like take his word back and to to redo everything. He's fierce. He storms out of the room. He just can't take it anymore. He leaves the room. And yet it's just Esther and Haman left. And Haman realizes what's happened. He realizes his plan is totally ruined and that his life is now on the line. And so he comes to Esther and he grabs her and he's pleading with her, Esther, please don't do this. You gotta save me. This isn't how I planned on things to go. I didn't know you were Jewish. He's begging, pleading for his life. And as the king comes back in the room, all he sees is Haman all over Esther. And he thinks this guy is now trying to make a move on the queen. And you can only imagine the king, like, you know, his head just explodes and like how angry he is in this moment. And he says, that's it. I can't wait any longer. Guards, come get Haman and I want you to put him to death right now. And luckily, 
there was this giant 75-foot pole that somebody had just erected to hang someone from, and they put Haman's body up on it. The king removes his decree. All the Jewish people are saved, and they have a festival every year honoring Esther and her bravery and what she did. And so we get this like happy ending, this, this perfect like, wow, look at God's faithfulness in this story. Look how God delivered not only Esther, but all the Jewish people because of Esther's courage. And what we've learned in the story of Esther is this, is that Esther's story is rooted not only in her courage, but maybe even more importantly in God's faithfulness. Because Esther found herself at that crossroads moment, the, for such a time as this moment, where she basically has to make this decision and says, all right, God, I don't know what's next, but I'm going to trust that you've got me on this. And I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to do what I think you would want me to do, and I trust that you've got me. And in that, God provides for Esther. God is faithful to Esther to take care of not only her, but all of her people. So my question for you guys tonight is this. How can you prepare to live courageously in God's faithfulness? What about you in your life? How can you prepare yourself that when you find yourself in these crossroads moments, these for such a time as this moments, these moments where you don't know what the outcome is going to be, it could go really well for you or it could go really south for you. How do you prepare yourself to make a courageous decision and to trust that God's got you? I've got three things for you tonight because I guarantee you, if you haven't already experienced some of those things, it's only a short amount of time before you will, where you find yourself in a moment where you don't know what to do next. You don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you've got to make a big decision that could potentially change everything. So I got three things for you guys tonight. Hopefully it can help you when you find yourself, prepare you for when you find yourself in a moment that requires you to courageously live out God's faithfulness. All right, number one is this, lean in to the author of your story. The thing that Esther had going for her is that God had a plan for his people. The Jews were his people and he was going to protect them because he had a plan for them to send his son Jesus as a Jewish person, the Messiah, the, the chosen one to come and die for the sins of the world. God had a plan for his people. And Esther probably knew that. But the thing is, is we know we can trust in God's faithfulness in the past. We can trust in God's faithfulness for the future. But trusting in God's faithfulness in the present, the right here and right now, is really hard. So in these moments, we have to lean into that God is writing a bigger story that we can't see for our lives. And the way that you lean into the author of your story, the way that you can trust in God's faithfulness, that he's got something bigger for you in your life, is to make sure you stay close to him. I look back at my story in college, and uh, I did a lot of things really wrong when I was in college. Uh, you know, you guys thought I was bad at 16. Whew, it got worse. And so it was one of those moments where I look back at my time in college, like, I didn't do this great. There was plenty of times where I didn't exactly lean into what God had for me in this season. And, and how that looks for you is going to be different depending on how you connect with God because everybody's different and God connects to all of us in our own distinct and different ways. For some of you, you're going to find yourselves reading scripture and it's almost like God is in the room with you with his hand. right? Like, hey, read this right here. Hey, I wrote this for you. Hey, this promise right here, that's you this week. There's times where you feel God's presence like that when you're reading scripture. There's some of you that read scripture and you're like, I can tell this was once written in Hebrew because it makes no sense to me, right? Like, and, and that's not the way you connect with God. For some of you, it's through prayer. 
Some of you guys can just talk to God and, and you can just pour your heart out to God and tell him all the things you're thinking and feeling. And, and for me, like, that's, a, that's a tough one. I have to oftentimes write out my prayers because I get distracted. I start praying and it turns into like a grocery list and then it becomes like my calendar. And then next thing I know, I'm on TikTok. And it's just like, it's like well, how did I get here? I was, I was talking to God, the creator of the universe, the author of my story. And now I'm, I'm way off base. Some of you are way better at that than I ever will be. Some of you, maybe it's, it's worship. Like we just spent some time singing and, and there's, there's, there's times where a certain line in a song or a certain moment in, in music just like touches our heart. And as we, as we sing praises to God, we can almost like feel his presence around us. And some of you, it, it might be something as simple as like walk, going for a walk in nature and you just see the, the creation that God has made in this world and you can feel his presence. Whatever it is for you, I challenge you in the season to find what that is and to lean into it. Because there's going to be times where you need to feel God's presence. You need to know where to turn when you're at a crossroads Roman. And if you don't know how you hear best from God, it's going to be really hard for you to hear from him when you need him. So the first thing you need to do is lean into the author of your story. The second thing is this, lock in your community. Here's the thing. Human beings aren't meant to be individuals. We were made for community. We're made to be together with people. It's why, gosh, honestly, the pandemic was so hard for so many people. They were locked in their houses for a long, long time, and they just missed people. As you step into this season of college, just look around you. As you look around to people, like, we crave to be with other people. It's the reason people join uh, social clubs and fraternities and sororities, and it's the why we, we gather together in places like this, is we are all desperately searching for community. So if that's the case, if you're going to surround yourself with people, if you're going to have a community in life, have a good one. Be a part of a community that uplifts you, that, that makes you a better person, and hopefully makes you a better follower of Jesus, a better, a better faithful person that leans into God's story for your life. I, my hope and prayer is that every single one of you finds a, a community in this time of life that helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, that helps you grow in your relationship with your heavenly Father. I look, again, I told you guys, I didn't do things a lot of the great way when I was in college, and this is another one of those things. I was like a junior or senior in college before I found a church that I could actually commit to and be a part of in college. That means I did like over half of my college experience just doing the best I could, making the decisions that I thought. And guess what? Most of them were wrong. You guys have heard my decision-making skills. They're not great. And so it was one of those situations I look back and I'm like, I wish I had people around me to tell me, hey man, that's not how you talk to girls. That's really bad. Don't do that. Like I needed people around me to like help me make better decisions and to help me live my life in a better way. And the fact that you're here tonight means you probably know this is true and you probably showed up tonight hoping to find that. And if you don't find it here, there, this is not the only church in the world. There are lots of places that would love to have you. And the thing that I want you to do is to lock into a community and commit to it, to be a part of it, to give it a chance. If you spend every week of your, this semester at a different church, you're not gonna find community. You're just gonna have a bunch of different church experiences. So find one that you can commit to and lock into it. Be a part of it for a season and commit to what God is doing there. Join a small group, serve somewhere, make it part of your routine and your rhythm and your schedule. Because I promise you, there's going to be moments where you need people to lean on. And if you never stay in one place long enough to get to know people, you're never going to know who those people are that you need to lean on. The third thing is this, is to listen to wisdom. Every single one of us has to make decisions. And sometimes we make great decisions. Sometimes we make bad decisions. And the gap between the two is usually the lack of wisdom. When you make a great decision, a lot of times it's because you've either learned mistakes the hard way and you're now wiser for it and you make better decisions the second time around. And oftentimes when you, or 
you've talked to somebody who's done the exact same thing and they've made bad decisions. They're like, hey, whatever you do, don't do it this way. If she says, I love you and you don't mean it, don't say me too, right? And so it's one of those opportunities where you can lean in and learn from people who have done something a little better. One of my favorite things about the living room is that we invite and encourage all of you guys to join a small group. So that after this, you go and hang out in a small group and you're given leaders in those small groups. And those leaders are people who are a stage of life or two ahead of you. And they're looking back on this time of life that you're all in and they're saying, I wish I would have had somebody to help me make decisions. I wish I would have had somebody to help me navigate the things that you guys are navigating. And I am willing to give up time away from my families and time away from my life to, to come here and pour into you guys and help you guys make better decisions than I made. And essentially, all of us seek out and, and need to find those people in our lives. And I know that to be true because uh, as I was kind of working through this and I was like, hey, what do I feel like all of you guys in this room need to hear tonight? I started doing like kind of evaluating my own life and looking kind of inward. Because this is great advice for me to stand up on stage and give to everybody else, but like, if I'm not living it out in my own personal life, is it really that good of advice? And so I started evaluating, I'm like, All right, how am I doing these things? And to be quite honest with you guys, uh, personally for me lately, um, it, life has been a bit of a struggle. Those, for such a time as this moments that I referenced, the, the moments where you have to make a big decision and you don't know if the one you're making is the right one or the wrong one, I feel like I've been having one of those almost daily for a couple weeks now. It's, it's one of those moments, and I don't want to overshare about my life, but like I, uh, my wife and I are pregnant, which is awesome. I'm super excited. Thank you. Yeah. It's on social media, so it's public. It's fine. And so we're, we're pregnant. Uh, I just sold my house. I had, don't have another one. Um, so I'm, I'm probably, uh, uh, yeah, going to be homeless in a couple days. And so there's, there's, there's that, uh, work is crazy right now. People are coming, people are leaving. I'm, I'm trying to navigate all the changes that are happening around me. And then I look at my own personal life. And, uh, I recently had a, a guy that used to be in a uh, former student ministry I used to work at. He's the same age as many of you in this room. He took his life a couple weeks ago and I had to sit through his funeral. And I was, you know, in that moment of like, did I, did I miss something? Could I have been there for him? And, and I'm carrying all this, like, this guilt and this weight from all this kind of stuff. And it's all piling up on me. And I found myself at so many of these moments and I'm like, am I, am I doing this right? Like, like God, I, I, I'm trying to be courageous and I'm trying to trust that you've got it, me, God, but I, I'm not sure right now. It's really tough. So what I've tried to do is over the past couple of weeks is try to actually do these things. Is like lean into wisdom. Like I, I found like a counselor, just somebody I can sit down and talk to and be like, hey, this feels like a lot. I need you to help me. Am, am I crazy here? Is, is, this, is this a lot? And I start walking through all the things that I'm going through in my life. And he's like, hey, he, he, this, he, this is a lot, man. Like you've got a lot going on. I was like, whew, it just feels good for somebody else to say it, right? Like, okay, I can take a lap. Like it is a lot. I thought it was a lot. I felt like it was a lot. I wasn't sure if it was a lot. I was like, does God think it's a lot? I'm not sure. But just to have somebody else to be like, yeah, it's a lot. Like I'm gonna help you through this was huge for me. And it's not something I would have done years ago. I look at my, like my community and the people that I'm around. Like I was a part of a small group for the last three years. And, and those people that I was a small group with, I'm calling them. I'm like, hey, I'm having a really bad day. I've got a lot going on. I just need you to pray for me. Hey, I've got to go to this, this funeral and my heart is breaking. Can, can you just pray for me this weekend? I'm leaning into the people that I've spent years in community with. And I'm like, hey, uh, over time, sometimes you guys are having bad days. Sometimes I'm having bad days. Right now, I really need you guys to help me and, and just kind of help hold me up right now because life is tough. And then, you know, I, I don't know how you guys connect with, with your heavenly father, but the, but the first one, to lean into the author of your story, um, probably the number one way I connect with God is I like to read. I read scripture a lot and that's probably the best way, but sometimes God surprises me. 
Sometimes God speaks to me in ways I'm not expecting. And yesterday I was driving my car. Uh, oh, on top of everything else, um, my wife's car died yesterday. So I'm paying for the mechanics kid to go to college now. And so like it was one of those situations where I'm going to pick her up from work because we have one car all of a sudden. And so I'm driving to pick her up from work and I'm frustrated and it was a stressful day at work. And all this stuff is just piling up on me and the weight of the world seems to just be hanging on my shoulders right now. And like the radio is kind of softly playing in the background and I'm driving down 400 and I'm just like, just kind of aware that it's just kind of quiet in the car. So I turn the radio up. I'm not even paying attention. And there's this song playing on the radio. And I'd never heard the song before yesterday, at least the, not that I'm aware of. And it's this song by Hillsong United, um, who was like the cool band before uh, like three bands ago in Christian music. And so um, anyways, this playing on the radio and it's the song called Know You Will. That's the name of it. And the, 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 I don't know the words of the song. I heard it for the first time yesterday. This is very real. And the, the chorus of the song goes, um, I don't know how but I know that you will. God, I don't know how you can do it, but I know you will. And I'm driving down 400 and I'm not an emotional person. Like I'm a pretty like rock solid man's man, right? Like, and I'm driving down 400 and these tears just start rolling down my eyes. I'm like, I, that's how I feel right now. Like it was one of those moments where I felt like God was in the car with me. And he's like, hey, I know you don't know how this is gonna play out. And I'm not asking you to have everything figured out, Heath. Just want that. Right now, I just want you to lean in to know that I got this. You don't have to have it figured out, but I want you to know that I will. And so tonight in the room, wherever you are, this is what I want you to know as, you, as, you, as, you, as I close for tonight is this, is that living in God's faithfulness today gives you courage for tomorrow. If you begin to prepare yourself and do those things, if you lean into the author of your story, if you lock in a community of people to help hold you up when life gets hard, and if you learn from wisdom of others, tomorrow or the next day or next week or next month or next semester or next year or 10 years from now, when life gets hard, when you find yourself in a moment much like Esther found herself in, where you don't know what to do and you have no idea what's next, begin preparing today to trust that God's got you, even if you don't know what tomorrow holds. Because for each and every one of us in this room, there's a day coming and there's a time coming where life gets on top of you. It happens to all of us. It's happening to me this week. And I hope that you begin preparing for that day right now and drawing close to God. So when you find yourself in that situation, you can trust in whatever happens, he's got you. I don't know what it will be, but I know he will come through, just like he did for Esther.